This episode is brought to you, as always, by the Borderlands family of businesses. The Borderlands Brewing Collaborative, an award-winning small-batch craft beer brewery since 2015. By collaborating with a core group of like-minded and skilled brewers, we simply make great beer. All brewed locally using all-American ingredients and produced on our community-owned equipment, our product is quality and intoxicating. Look for future ventures into mead, cider, wine, and spirits. The Borderlands Woodworks. From firewood to dimensional lumber, live-edge slabs, we're your local small-scale sawyer. All of our wood is sourced from the local forests, and we deal primarily in the common hardwood species such as oak, walnut, maple, hickory, and our ever-disappearing beloved ash. We can also do small-scale wood products such as cutting boards, ashtrays, picture frames, and boxes. The Borderlands Sustainable Backyard. This is the newest official member of our family of businesses. We have projects ranging from free-range chickens laying eggs to hydroponic vegetables and our ever-expanding experiments aimed at reusing or recycling the waste from the Brewing Collaborative and the Woodworks. So far, we have created a line of dog treats from spent brewing grains and are growing mushrooms on sawdust and wood chips generated by the woodworks. Here at the Borderlands, we pride ourselves on our core values of community, innovation, and productivity while having fun in a laid-back atmosphere. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Borderlands podcast after a very long absence. Um, We're trying to reboot this thing again. Uh, my guest in this episode is Mr. Morgan McLean. I first met Morgan in 2008 when I lived in Pittsburgh. I had just bought a 2008 Subaru Impreza STI, and I was almost immediately referred to a local car club consisting of those interested in mostly all-wheel drive Japanese tuner cars such as the STI and the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution which I would later own. Morgan was a regular in the car club, and uh, later he and some others would help me catch the vehicle modification bug and begin the never-ending pursuit of horsepower and performance. Every little drop we could tweak from these little four-cylinder cars back then. All that led to uh, high-performance driving experiences, track days, and an always expanding group of friends and acquaintances. At some point, Morgan started a charity called Fast Track for a Cure to raise funds to research uh, Huntington's disease, which is a debilitating and fatal neurodegenerative disease. It turned out that a close family member of Morgan's had Huntington's. The event centered around autocross with the North Hills Sports Car Club and in its first year raised a small amount of cash, mostly from entry fees from the local participants and drivers in the autocross event. The charity and event exploded rapidly to include many corporate sponsors, many more drivers, 
in the sales of food and raffles, blind auctions, etc. The event had come quite large had become quite large by the time I had to move away from the Pittsburgh area. Nowadays it's been too many years since I've seen or spoken to Morgan. He is currently a salesperson for Mini slash BMW in the Pittsburgh area. We get reacquainted in this episode talking about the pros and cons of electric vehicles. I speak from the owner's point of view, and he speaks from the sales point of view. We answer some questions and concerns from some of our Facebook followers of the show. Off mic, Morgan and I catch up after at least 10 years apart. And we even talk about a recent tragedy involving one of our dear old friends. I also get Morgan to speak about his charity. This is a great conversation that I hope can both reboot my podcast and rekindle an old friendship with one of this world's greatest people. On a side note uh, for this reboot in this newest episode, I actually broke down and paid for intro and outro music. Uh, I gave 95 euros for a non-expiring license to use this track for the lifetime of the podcast. I don't even know what the fuck that is in U.S. dollars. However, I hope you listeners enjoy the new music. And if you'd like to learn more about Morgan's charity, please visit FastTrackPGH.com and or search Google for Huntington's disease. It's an eye-opener for sure. Before I actually get into the interview and conversation with Morgan, um, I do want to address one uh, repeating question from the social media is that Morgan and I didn't really address in, in, in super depth. And ever since I expressed interest in electric vehicles, and certainly ever since I ordered and took delivery of one, I have taken a lot of criticism over the whole concept of procurement of lithium. Uh, apparently, the claims are, and I haven't confirmed this or, or denied it, and I really don't care, but the claims are that lithium is mined from some third world uh, countries on this planet using 
uh, allegedly slave labor. And I've heard that the, the, the conditions under which these uh, metals are mined are, are deplorable and people are not earning a living wage. I don't want to condone this whatsoever. I, I think it's a horrible practice. However, I want people, whoever these critics are out there of the lithium procurement model, I want you to take a step back and ask yourself about everything else in your life. First of all, do you have a problem with your cellular telephone, your smartphone? Do you realize that your Apple or Samsung smartphones are produced effectively by slave labor. The, they're produced by people who earn pennies per day, who are kept in, uh, forced to live in the facilities that assemble and produce these things for pennies per day, deplorable conditions under our standards. Um, I would also ask you to reflect on the clothing that you put on your body. Most of the clothing that we have in this company, uh, in this country, excuse me, is produced by child and or slave labor over in uh, unsophisticated or third world countries such as Vietnam or Cambodia, things like this, by children who are earning pennies to produce this stuff. Your, your, your shoes, your shirts, your jeans, your name brand items that you put on your body. Um, I, I would just challenge people to, say, to, to to ask themselves, I mean, this is, this is the way of life in America. We want, uh, we want cheap goods. We want instant access to these goods. And how the fuck do you think that we are able to enjoy our cell phones, our clothing, our shoes? Uh, I mean, our food, most of our technology, most of our lives. How do you think we can enjoy this stuff as cheaply as we do right now? And you're going to all of a sudden complain about the slave labor involved in procuring lithium for batteries. Kind of a double standard, if you ask me. I mean, I'm not telling you this, right, that we obtain lithium the way that we do, but we need to take a huge step back and look at how we obtain the all of the goods in this country as cheaply as we do. And this is what we want in America. We want cheap and immediately available goods. And I would ask part of my language, how the fuck else do we get it as cheaply and as rapidly as we want than to pay slave wages to children or otherwise impoverished people in this world? Just ask yourself that. There's whether you drive an EV or not, you have something in your household or you are wearing something on your body. I guarantee you that was produced and shipped here to this country um, because of slave wages and slave labor and impoverished personnel. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and I know that's a highly controversial answer. Like I said, I don't condone this, uh, but I don't think that EVs and or batteries should be singled out when every other freaking product in this country is produced in the same 
fucking fashion. Okay. That's all I want to say on that. And uh, so now we're going to move on with the recorded interview with my dear friend, Morgan. Um, so, I mean, no need to like rehash what we just went over. Cause I'll do that in an intro recording, but, um, uh, the, it looks like the most frequently asked question in, uh, maybe these 30 or so comments I have is, um, what about battery disposal and the toxicity of the car? I think we're still at a young enough point in trying to do this that I, I understand the concern of disposal. But I also think that, that like no one really has the answer for that. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like anything can get written, you know, recycled or, or, fully break down the battery the way that it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and no one's, no one's going to be evil enough to go, you know, no one's dumping them in the water no one's dumping them in the creeks. No one's dumping them in the ocean. Yeah. Um, maybe except for China. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's, it's not really something that I've encountered. Yeah. So um, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, EVs and, you know, battery technology, it's come a long way, but it's probably still in its infancy or maybe it's a, a little toddler now um, as far as, you know, we've opened this Pandora's box even. And my God, what do we do with these things when they're spent? My point is going to be, here's how I would address this. Um, if you look at the broader, uh, proper, responsible disposal of any vehicle it's going to get recycled and reused to the extent that it can be and i think that that would perfectly apply to the electric vehicle and like i said i'll repeat it the responsible uh, correct disposal of the vehicle i'm not talking about like you said people driving them into the river or into the ocean or just burying them in a landfill like no you, you trade them in and either they get uh, repurposed or resold to another consumer or the component and constituent parts of them are broken down and reused in the manufacture of something else. Right. So I, yeah. I don't see the EV, the, 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 the disposal of an EV that much different from the responsible disposal of an internal combustion engine car. I, I, totally agree with that i think that if we're going to be you know environmentally minded when it comes to you know okay so you've got all of these uh components that literally can be like your idea of you know someone's going to break it down and use it in the manufacturing of something else mm-hmm. um okay so well, what else are we going to use lithium for there's got to be something else out there that lithium can be used for. Well, I, I just don't that. believe that these batteries are 100% consumable, right? I mean, I think they're all going to have some usable uh, anode or cathode material in them that uh, they could go into a, a future battery. You know, you're not going to, yeah. you're not going to, uh, you know, get 
every drop of voltage or energy out of these spent batteries that you can. But there, I think there's something to be harvested there. And I mean, maybe, yeah, you're right. The, the, the raw metals probably could be used in the manufacture of something else. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that people who ask that question, they aren't familiar with manufacturing necessarily. Right. You know, and, and I would argue they don't even know what happens to their internal combustion car when they get rid of it. Oh, well, well, that's a damn fact. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I think uh, I would just put that one to bed by saying that if, if somebody responsibly gets rid of these vehicles, things are going to be fine. Um, you want to talk about carbon offsets or whatever the hell term you want to use, things are going to be fine. I don't think we're going to be toxifying the whole planet, toxifying all the waterways to any greater extent than we currently are. I think we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll be learning uh, new ways to repurpose the, the, the constituent parts or, you know, uh, get them into the, a, a current recycling process. I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. It's not, you know, for me, I think, uh, and just because it's, it's popular in the sidekicks right now, it, the rail companies right now have done more damage mm. in the past four months. Oh than, gosh. Yes. Yeah. Then, then, you know, anything else right now. And yeah, of course everybody's going after them. It's, it's giving EV people a little bit of a, you know, a break, if mm-hmm. you will. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, like that alone, that that's going to cause massive damage massive damage yeah and the whole idea that um norfolk southern and i think um the environmental protection agency had no plan in place on how to dispose of the chemicals that that train was carrying in contrast that with the evs i think that there is is a plan in place on how to deal with the lithium like it's going it's going to be recycled and repurposed oh yeah and the cobalt and whatever, whatever the hell else is in these batteries. I, I know they're primarily lithium ion. Um, I think cobalt is a component as well. Well, let's roll on to um, another topic. Uh, and I think this came up once or twice in the Facebook feed for me. Um, the concept of charging uh, the electric vehicles in their uh, additional load on an already stressed uh, electric grid. You should have solar panels. Yeah. I mean, yes, uh, that's clearly one solution. I think an even easier solution, if anyone who's actually owned an EV or done their research on them or been inside one, uh, I can speak of this personally. You probably can as well. There's this idea of um, scheduled charging. And so I can, you know, through the app or through the touchscreen in the Model Y, I can tell that car to charge uh, only between this hour and this hour. So I can set it to charge, uh, and I'm talking about at my house. I can set it to charge during the so-called off-peak 
electric um, demand times. And I think if, if people would get on board with that, I mean, A, there's a, a cost savings. It's, it's less expensive per unit uh, to consume electricity during off-peak. And secondly, it would just be the responsible thing to do to set yourself to charge during off-peak times. I mean, hell, we've been doing this. These have been recommendations for people doing their laundry, for doing their uh, dishes, you know, dishwasher, uh, taking baths you know, at nighttime. If you have a, an electric water heater, like these recommendations have been out there for decades. Like do all that shit after hours, right? Yeah. Charge well, your car after hours when you can. Precisely. And, you know, like my products all have planned charging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, like, like think about rationing. You know, mm-hmm. the UK had the, the UK dealt with rationing well into the, you know the late sixties mm-hmm. after the war, mm-hmm. and like, trust me, I don't mean to sound like you know one of those like uh, you know English folks that only talk about the war, but I mean like <laughs> they they dealt they dealt with that for over twenty years, mm-hmm. and you know that there were rolling blackouts and everything else like that. My whole thing is is you use the self you use the, the plan charging to um, get the get the cars charged sufficiently enough to get you to and from your commute and or something else along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know, and every place that you have to go in between, you know, you just have to plan better for that. Yeah. But, you know, you, so when you're going to be charging overnight you know, California's got these new um, proposed rules on on overnight charging, um, which I think is horseshit. But like the the way that that they're approaching this, being California, is completely and totally wrong in my mind. I think that um, having them, they're like either they're they're already getting to the point where they're at the peak of their grid. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue. They're at the peak of the grid. They don't know what they're going to do and it's going to become problematic. Okay. So now we're going to start, uh, you know, upscaling uh, our plans to stop the charging so frequently. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've been to California. Uh, it's been, but, it's been a couple decades. I feel like <laughs> California is not doing a lot of things correctly nowadays. No, they're not. But like the other thing is, is like, it's like, you can't not drive there. Right. Right. There are a few. The state is vast. Oh, it's absolutely enormous. Yeah. But like then, and you know, this is, this is a completely different conversation. Um, you know, someone like in West Virginia, like, you're tied into the national grid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just as everybody else is except for one state. Yeah. True. And that one, that, that one state has Tesla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's headquartered in Texas. Yeah. And it, you know, like what in the hell <laughs> is going to happen when, you know, a lot of those people wind up buying electric cars. And for instance, let's say like what happened in Austin two years ago. Okay. 40 degrees, power goes out, 
everybody's everybody's SOL, you know, like that Texas is a fragile power grid system. Yeah, and that was all uh, nothing having to do with EVs and the charging. No, of it, EVs. It, it, it wasn't. <clears throat> right, it wasn't. But I I think that the rest of the country and the, 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 the national grid, if you will, can learn a whole heap from Texas being their own power grid. Mm-hmm. If they're paying attention correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's move on to, uh, another one. Um, and this seems kind of like a superfluous question. I always stumbled over that word. And I have to give a shout out to this girl. I work with her, Jamie Getz. Uh, she says, it's cold. You got to charge more often. Yes or no. And uh, um, well, I'm going to tell you, Jamie, I wouldn't say you have to charge more often. I mean, the way that I use the vehicle, and I imagine 99% of the owners do use their vehicles, we're not charging more often. It's just that the charge goes for a shorter distance. I still, you know, when it's zero degrees outside versus 80 degrees outside, I'm going to charge my vehicle once a day. Agree? <laughs> I I would. So like one of the, one of the neat things about, you know, the products that I sell is, you know, we have, um, heated and cooled batteries. Mm-hmm. So like, when it's cold outside, you you were preconditioning the battery 15 minutes before um, you're going outside. You know, at the end of your workday, start that preconditioning. Oh yeah, you so go. that's almost the same concept as the scheduled charging. I have um, Tesla has, and I'm sure other makes have it too. I have scheduled departure from, and it's location based. So I can have a scheduled departure from my home, and I can have a scheduled departure from work. And uh, you're right, heated and or cooled batteries. It'll condition a battery to whatever optimal temperature it needs to be, um, just so long as you know when you're leaving, I guess. So, yeah, there's some battery optimization. I'm just going to say I'm I'm not charging more often because it's cold. It's not. Yeah, and it's not an inconvenience. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, it's just another thing that you do mm-hmm. in the day. You know. And yeah, okay, so it's, it's, but you know, like I don't have to do that for my internal combustion car. You don't drive a diesel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're not trying to start up a, a high compression air pump. That's right. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not, you don't have, um, block heaters. You don't have anything else like that. It's rollover while you're, before you hop in the shower, you hit the button on the on the <laughs> on the app on your phone. Yeah. Okay. It's just like turning off your fucking alarm and away you go. Yep. Yep. You know, um, by the time you get out of the shower, the battery should be at optimal temperature and then you're off to the races. Yeah. Jamie also poses another so Jamie gave me uh six questions all in one comment. Her second question was maintenance. And I think she put in parentheses, not in West Virginia. So I think what she's referencing is that there are no, specifically there's a Tesla dealership in the state of West Virginia. I had to get my car from Columbus, Ohio. 
And so I assume she's asking, how do I maintain the car without a dealer nearby? And that to me, this is the simplest of all answers. Like this question is so easy to answer. There effectively is no maintenance. I mean, there's very little maintenance on these cars, right? You're, there's all the consumable parts, which is uh, the tires and the brakes primarily, um, windshield wipers. Um, you know, I guess uh, maybe the uh, refrigerant is consumable if you have a leak. I don't know. But uh, I argue that the, the, the bulk of the maintenance on these vehicles is done over the air. You know, if there's a problem with a switch here or a camera there or, I mean, hell, um, Tesla, I think certain Model 3s were affected by a recall for their automatic up windows. Like they weren't stopping if they encountered resistance, like they were crushing people's limbs in there. So what did Tesla do? They sent an update over the air that disabled the auto up function. You know, it's like, I don't know. It seems like it works to me. Yeah. I mean, every car you're going to change tires, you're going to get new brakes when you need to, you're going to fill the fluids in it, PRN as needed. But in the EV, you don't have to take it in for uh, oil changes, fuel filter changes, uh, transmission fluid service. I mean, there's a long list of things you would do in a traditional ICE driven car that you're never going to do in the EV. Right. And I think you can speak to that being a dealer. So when it comes down to it, if it's something that is detrimental, there's a way, Mm -hmm. you know, I have, I've got clients that live where you live. They get their car serviced in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I have clients who live in Charleston and get their car serviced in Pittsburgh. You know, I'm like, it's just, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. If you're willing to, if you're willing to own it, you'll find the way to get it fixed. Well, and I I also say like, so there's no Porsche dealer anywhere close to me either. I think most of the Porsche owners in this town have got their cars probably from Columbus, just like I did, maybe from Cincinnati. Um, but has that ever discouraged a Porsche owner from buying their next 911? No, I don't think so. No, not at all. <laughs> and and it goes, it goes for the same. You know, tell me where the closest mini dealer is to you. I don't have a clue. Maybe in Charleston. I don't know. No, it's it's in Pittsburgh. You're kidding. There's not one in Lexington or Columbus. There's one in Columbus, but I mean, uh, it's literally, as the crow flies, I'm still closer. Eh, uh, well, by road, Columbus is probably 50, 60 miles closer. But no, it's, yeah, it's a wash, kind of. Yeah, but that's Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> the Buckeye State. Um, yeah, so we, we agree that, I mean, essential maintenance, you're going to get it done, but there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of maintenance to be done on these cars. I don't think. No, no. And there's really, I think, you know, detrimental. Okay. So 70,000 miles down the road. And the only reason that I'm bringing this up is because I know that, you know, the, from, from our past and motorsports. You know, you're changing out shocks, you're changing out springs, you're doing this, that, and the other thing. 
but you know, that's 70,000 miles down the road. How quickly are you going to put 70,000 miles on that car? Oh yeah. That's, uh, that's going to be several years for the average person. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, from that time, so, you know, let's say 10 years ago, um, there used to be in Columbus, there was a Tesla store that was in a mall. Mm-hmm. Okay? The service center was 14 miles away from it, down uh, just north of uh, Ohio, the, the crew stadium uh, on Ohio State uh, property. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like, you know, that's the way that they had to do things. Mm-hmm. And even here in Pittsburgh, we've got one up north. We've got uh, another one just opened. I want to say it's in the South Hills somewhere. Um, and, you know, luckily enough, both of those places have attached service stations, which is great. But, um, you know, that, that time is coming. Yeah, and for certain. To be perfect. To be perfectly honest, I think that uh, it might have something to do with direct-to-consumer sales in, in West Virginia. So maybe that's one of the reasons why there isn't a Tesla store in West Virginia. Probably. Probably. <laughs> and I think you know. it, it, it probably has so much to do with the coal lobby, right? Although, well, no, that doesn't make sense. I... I I said that before I thought about it because yeah. our, uh, most of our electricity is made by coal. And so West Virginia would have a vested interest in the sales in, of in, EVs, right? Yeah. Well, one would, one would certainly think, right? Yeah. <laughs> one would certainly think. Yeah. I don't know that I've actually sold an EV down to West by God yet. West by God. Let's move on to another question uh, from Nurse Getz. Yeah, she's a nurse I work with. Um, what was the upfront cost of charging station at home? So for me, uh, the, with the Tesla product, at the time that I purchased, um, my home charger was 750 bucks. Shortly after I bought it, it went down to $500. And then um, <clears throat> I installed it on my own with, you know, just the basic um, electrician's knowledge and basic electrician's tools. Um, I installed it myself at a cost, a materials cost of around, I'm going to say like $450. I had to get a, I bought a 100 amp two pole switch and I bought whatever length of, cable I needed. And, and of course I went over the top of the cable. I got, uh, uh, what did I get? Four gauge wire. So I had to buy a three lengths of four gauge wire because I needed two hots and a neutral, um, and some conduit. And that was it. It took me just a couple hours one afternoon to do it. So what's that grand total? Maybe 1300 bucks plus my time. I don't know what an electrician would charge. I, I imagine an electrician probably come in at minimum a thousand dollars materials and labor, you know, plus the cost of the charger. But uh, to me, the, the cost of that charger is inconsequential because like, could you imagine 
if you could put in a gasoline pump at your house for your internal combustion car? Dude, I'd light so many things on fire. I, no, I would, I'd have a diesel <laughs> pump out here and an 87 octane pump out here tomorrow if I could. Like, that'd be so glorious. But, I mean, you'd still have to pay for it. It's still expensive, but still, like, you'd never have to go to the gas station. Uh, but I think, I guess that's my point, meaning that uh, the cost of these chargers is inconsequential. I mean, you're going to take the leap to buy the car. Uh, what is it to spend another $1,500, $2,000 on the charger? Now, I can tell you, like, my father bought um, uh, the uh, Ford Lightning, and his charger actually was folded in with the purchase price of his truck. He got the Lariat trim, I think, which came with that monstrous charger that they sell. Uh, but I think if you, if you bought that extra, it was well over a thousand bucks and I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch the install for that. Oh, whoops. I think I may have screwed this up a little bit. What are you doing? It says, uh, I don't you're wanting to make a know. video call. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I, frankly, I don't, but uh, I, I, we, we've somehow, we've somehow come to where you're going to be producing this a little bit more. Um, um, um do you see yeah. me? Boom. I see you. Oh, you canceled it. Okay. But you're still there voice, huh? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyways, um, back to this question. BMW and Mini sell flexible chargers. Um, what, is, what, does that, what does that mean exactly, the flexible charger? So it'll run off of a uh, 220, mm-hmm. and it'll run off of a 110, too. Okay, so, so with, the, with my vehicle... If you've vehicle, got a dedicated line, you can run, you know, run it straight to a 220 uh, right in the garage, and you know, you're all set to go. Yeah. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So, um, no. along those lines, so the, the Tesla, my, my vehicle came with, uh, what they call a mobile charging pack. And that came with an adapter for a 110 outlet and a 220, uh, I think it's the 1540 outlet. Um, now the 110 only charges it between three and five miles per hour of charge that 1540 220 outlet charges it like, I think it's close to 10 miles per hour charge, but the dedicated Tesla charger I have here, um, it's 220 volts, but it runs up to 60 amps and it'll charge up to 60 miles per hour. And that, I mean, that's a huge advantage there. Right. And I mean, it's obviously always going to be, you know, if you get a dedicated charger put into the house, you're always going to be, you know, first in line, you mm-hmm. know, but it's also going, it's also going to cost you, you know, let's call it three months of fuel cost. But then, you know, you're only paying pennies on top of that after the fact. Oh yeah. But as, as gas continues to rise and just that and the other thing, you're going to, get to a point where it's like, oh, well, now I've spent that in a month and a half because I've had to go here, 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 and here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
Yeah. For me, I can do you know, roughly a thousand miles on $120 worth of gasoline. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and that's also depending, like I've got other forms of transportation that I can use that does even better on gas mileage than what I'm currently driving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it, personally, I think if you're going to do it, you're, you should always just bite the bullet no <laughs> matter the cost and, and get the big, get the big boy charger, get the dedicated manufacturer charger. Yeah. Because it's, 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 it's supposed to work with the vehicle period. Yeah. Um, you know, like I've got guys that have um, those dedicated Tesla chargers at their house and their kid drives a Cooper SE and they have um, one of those Tesla to uh, 1772 chargers mm-hmm. um, adapters and like that car is done charging in like two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. So like my daily drive is probably around 130 miles and, um, that'll top off in just over two hours generally. And like, that's impressive. Yes. That's impressive. Especially, especially if you've got other forms of transportation or you need to make an emergency journey or you need to, it's something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's fine, but you know, still 60 miles an hour or, or yeah, at 60 miles gained per hour. Yeah. We go, yeah. Say it's, a, it's a confusing uh, term. Think, it is. Yeah. But I think that it's, but I think it's the right way. Yep. And this will segue into another comment that the same person, Jamie gets posed to me. She didn't put this on Facebook, but she argues with me about this all the time at work. She says, I'd I never, like arguments. no, she said, I'd, I'd never buy an EV cause I don't want to sit at the charger for 30 minutes or however long it takes. And oh my gosh, I have Why? such a, I have, I have such an easier uh, answer to this. So this, this goes back to the whole concept of charging at home. So yes, I will admit that charging an electric vehicle at, and I'm going to use Tesla cause that's my. That's my product. That's what I'm familiar with. At a, at a Tesla supercharger, yes, it takes longer to charge that vehicle than it would be than it would take to put gasoline in your gas tank by a little bit. I mean, I, I think it, it's the difference is not as much as people think, but yes, it's longer to fill up the EV. However, like Morgan, I want you to ask me how many times I've charged my car at a Tesla supercharger since I bought it in October. How many times have you bought your, or how many times have you charged your car since you bought it in October? At a Tesla supercharger. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and yes, both times that I sat at the Tesla supercharger, my charge time was probably 25 to 30 minutes. That's longer than I would spend at a gas station. However, if you look at my cumulative time spent at a gas station since October 21st, that's 
that's all the time I've spent at a quote gas station. Does that make sense? Because I charge my car at home. Like I'm never, ever, I'm not on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis going to the freaking gas station. So overall, my time spent charging outside of the home is so infinitesimally small compared to what I would be spending filling my diesel truck up. Uh, And I'm talking about time-wise. I'm not even talking about money-wise, just time-wise. Oh yeah. Right. And I think and if you compute, my, I think if you computed this out over the lifetime of an ICE vehicle, you're probably spending days sitting in a gas pump days, literally. Whereas you may spend, I don't know, a couple hundred hours charging your EV at a, at a supercharger. Right. And the other thing is, is like, if you get to that point, where you have to plan out your trip around chargers. You have the opportunity every day or throughout the span of a day to throw your phone on the, on the passenger seat, put your AirPods in, put on a set of headphones. You know, you can listen to a podcast for 30 minutes. You can disconnect from the world for 30 minutes. You can better yourself for 30 minutes. You can go for a walk. You Mm -hmm. can read a book, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can do something in that time. You know, um, my whole argument that I get all the time with that is, well, you know, if I've got to go to Philly, it's 216 miles away. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, you know, how am I going to charge? Well, there's chargers at, you know, the turnpike station. I said, you'll be fine. And they go, well, what am I supposed to do at that point in time? I'm like, you're going to drive for an hour and a half. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're going to need to charge. Mm-hmm. And if you find something that's a quick charge or a fast charger, you're only going to need 40 minutes. Well, I, I can't, I can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? You walk in, you know, you go, you plug your car in, <laughs> you walk the, the unexplicably long distance into, you know, the station. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, if you're a male, you walk into the bathroom, you take care of your business. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and if it's a heavy travel time and, you know, poor ladies, they got to wait in line. Yep. You know, it, you have that, you know, someone's hungry. You need to go buy a pretzel yeah, and get your Dr. Pepper and you know, you're off to, you, you, you're off for another five or 10 minutes. That's right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go fiddle around the, the gas station shop. Okay. You find the, 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 that one tchotchke that's got a deer on it that you didn't have beforehand. And you thought, well, <laughs> shit, I need to buy this. You know, like when you make those stops on the highways, it's 30 minutes anyways, by the time you're out of there, especially if you've got someone else traveling with you. Yeah. And that's what I tell people is that the, the time difference is not as great as people think it is. Like people make no. the assumption you can get in pump gas and get out of there in like 10 seconds. No. I mean, it's a minimum of a few minutes, but I'll tell you what I have done. And the, the two times I was at a Tesla supercharger, 
I watch Netflix. It's built into the car. It plays on the big screen in the center console. <laughs> like, um, no, it's not that difficult to sit down and top the vehicle off. It's just not. No, not at all. And the thing is, you don't do that every day. I mean, well, get, I, I guess given your pattern of driving, and maybe there's people who own EVs who, who, who rent and they can't install their own chargers, I guess. I mean, but I would say for the average owner, they're going to have uh, a dedicated charger at their house. So, I mean, that's, that's all you have to do. Charge at home during your downtime. It's not even a consideration how long you're going to set at the supercharger. Yeah. And depending how far are you really driving? Well, here's the deal. You're, you're uh, going to get to that point. So I told you we're going to, I told you we're out of town for the next few days. We're going to go to Cincinnati, uh, which I think mileage, I want to say 160, 170 miles away. It's less than three hours on the road. Um, so I can get there with a lot of charge left in the battery. Like if I, if I charge my car tonight to a hundred percent and we leave here and go to Cincinnati, I'm going to get to Cincinnati with, I don't know, 25 to 30% of battery lift. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll drive out to dinner. We'll drive to the zoo or something, some bullshit and use up some of that 25 to 30%. So when we're looking at coming home, I may only have 10% left in the battery, but that's where that Tesla supercharger shines. Like there, I think they're, I don't think it's a guarantee, but they're almost promises that they'll get you to 80% charge in 20 to 30 minutes. Now, if you want to go over 80%. That's all you're going to need. Yeah. No, I can get home on 80% from that destination. But if say if I wanted to go to 100, you know, then it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's that top end of the battery. It takes longer to charge because it, I don't know, there's some fucking uh, algorithm built in. where it they, trickles it's got to, Yeah, well, it's got to spread it across all these little itty-bitty cells. I mean, I don't understand all the physics of it. But, yeah, the, the top end of the battery takes a little longer to charge. But, anyways, to get to 80% charge, that'll get me to Huntington. Or, at the very least, it'll get me to the next supercharger. You know, so... um and I don't know, like say I went to Cincinnati and I didn't drive anywhere. Like I just parked the car up there. I could almost make it back to Huntington round trip in a single charge. Like my, my vehicle on paper, it gets 330 miles uh, in a charge. I'm, I'm probably seeing around 290 uh, in, in, in my ideal conditions. And I, I think that's great. That does everything I need it to. Um, I haven't, I haven't been on a road trip where I need to stop more than once to charge, but I'm telling you there there's, I mean, hell on the, the, the big screen in the Tesla, you can plan it out. I mean, you, it tells you yeah. exactly where the chargers are. There's apps, there's third party apps that'll tell you where every charging opportunity is, whether it's Tesla or a, you know, multi-platform charger, or, I mean, there's even some people that like will sell their, charging capabilities at their uh, Airbnbs and shit. Like you can stop anywhere, you know, find something yep. with these apps. Um, yep. Charge points. Great for that. Which their leads me to another work, question. But... Another question that everybody asks me, 
Everyone asks me this, and this is the stupidest, most asinine question out there. Everyone says, You're going to lose some friends over this one. <laughs> no, I won't, because I've already had this argument with most everyone that I work with. But uh, everyone says, well, what are you going to do if you run out of charge on the side of the road? And I just say, like, well, you do realize that internal combustion engine vehicles can also run out of fuel. Right. This, it's not a problem that's unique to the electric vehicle. <laughs> you no, just, not at all. It's just like your gasoline power car. You don't allow it to run out of gas. Right. I mean, that's everyone's goal is to get to where you're going without running out of fucking gas. So like that, that's, the, that's my goal with the EVs. I don't, I, I get to where I need to go without running out of charge. I mean, does that make sense? Like you just, I, I don't know. To me, it's a no brainer. And I would say furthermore, like on my commute from Huntington to Charleston, so roughly one hour, one way, every day, 10 to 12 vehicles parked and disabled on the side of the road. None of them are electric vehicles. Not a single one of them. And so there's... That just sounds... Ridiculous, and I know there's more. Point. There's more ICE uh, vehicles on the road, for sure. So that I guess the chances are that th- there's a higher likelihood that you're going to see them broken down. But, but no, it's just like to me in my brain, I'm like, well, why the fuck would I allow my car to run out of charge? I just, I, I never right. did it. Never did it in my diesel pickup truck. Never once ran that thing out of fuel. In eleven years, I've owned it. <clears throat> So I plan on not ever letting thing, it happen to this car. When when you when you sit down and you think about it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh shit! You, you do the same damn thing. You do the same damn thing that you would do in an IC. Yeah. Like one, yeah, you don't let it run out of charge. One, you don't let it run out of gas. But you get to that point where all of a sudden you're up shit's creek and you don't know what the hell to do. You do the same damn thing everybody else does. You call a fucking tow truck. Well, I mean, that would be worst case scenario. But even yeah, still, but I mean, I'm hey, sure you could go source electricity somewhere. You know, I, I don't know. The, the, my point is that you're going to get, uh, quote, fuel into the car however you can. You know, if that's a, if it's an ICE car, you're going to take a hike and fill a, a gallon bucket up with gasoline. If it's an electric vehicle, you know, I guess, unfortunately you, you would have to call a tow truck, you know, a flatbed truck. I think these memes showing the, uh, the, the gasoline job site generators charging up these vehicles. I don't think that's realistic uh, because honestly, I don't think that they're capable of doing it. I think the grounding situation is, not correct from what I've read for these cars. But anyhow, you're going to get that car somewhere where it can get electricity, right? Just like you get your gas car, you're going to get gas to it. It's the same concept. You're going to get whatever fuels it, the car requires put back into it. That's the solution. And, but the money is in the prevention of it, right? You just don't let it run out of freaking charge. I mean, give me a break. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think I think a, a lot of what scares people away from it 
is the fact that it is something new for them to learn. Yeah. Well, it's, and this was another comment on the Facebook post is that, uh, uh, and this was a person in support of it. He just said that human beings are generally resistant to change. And I think that sums it up. Absolutely. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, luckily enough, your dad's gotten with the times, but <laughs> you know, my father hasn't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, he'll, he'll sit oh, there. Da- he'll, well, he'll my dad, my dad's covered his whole fucking rooftop in solar panels. And I think he's going to have the guys out and cover uh, a couple of his barns in solar panels. And I keep telling him like, old man, uh, you're not going to reap the benefits in what's left of your lifetime, <laughs> but he's still doing it. <laughs> he still thinks it's a worth, I, I, worthwhile venture. Um, he's a forward yeah, thinker, I guess. Sadly, yeah. I mean, Hey, that's not a bad idea. I mean, if you got the, if you have the space for it, mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm. Why not make, why not make the world a little bit better for somebody else? No, I feel like that old man of mine's got acres of rooftop. <laughs> he's, he's making, he's generating a lot of, a lot of electricity. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I, here's my deal. I would get solar panels. Um, if my roof wasn't brand new, because like, or well, no, no, the roof's not brand new. I just feel like it, the roof would be, the roof's lifespan would be out of sync with the solar panels' lifespan. If that but even if that even makes panels. sense to you, like, because I think I would it have doesn't. to replace my roof before the solar no. panels went bad. No, no. The best the best part about the solar panels, they come right off. And then you put the new roof down and they go right back on. Oh, it seems like there'd be a lot of labor involved parts. Yeah. Unplug it, put it on the ground. (laughs) What about all those brackets and stuff, dude? Man, that's for the (laughs) roofers to figure out. You're paying the roofers to get that shit done. You're right. You're right. So I, I put a metal roof on my house. Mm hmm. And um, I was talking to the guys, <clears throat> and uh, because Western Pennsylvania, I had the Amish mm-hmm. my metal roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the the question was, well, you know, if I plan on putting the solar panels up top there, um, and something goes wrong with the roof, and I need to call you guys. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll come out, take off. Put back on later after we fixed. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Yeah. That's great. You know, at that point, I still haven't put fucking solar panels on the roof, but. <laughs> well, I think for know, many, it's uh, it's somewhat cost prohibitive. I mean, it's an investment for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 27 grand. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a person like, if you're a person of means, like my father is, um, you pay cash for all of it and you get the entire tax benefit, right? I think the installation on his, like on his house rooftop was over a hundred grand. <laughs> the dude just wrote a check for it. And so he's able to get $30,000 tax credit right away. 
Good Lord. Um, and I think that's probably the sole reason he's doing it on his couple of barns too, because he'll he'll just freaking pay for it in that same tax year. He'll get the full tax credit for it, which I'm jealous. Like I don't, yeah, I don't have quite the uh, degree of funds that my father does, but uh, but I do want to get solar panels. I I want to do it to hedge against the power outage. I would do solar panels with a the biggest battery bank I could afford in this place. And I think that's exactly when you go back to the idea of charging, you know, mm-hmm. at that point you put a battery, you put a battery pack in the house and then all of a sudden you aren't even touching the grid. Yeah. You right. can have that battery pack go directly into the car. That's right. You, know? man. you can set it up however you want. Oh yeah, you know I got it. I got it charged up to eighty percent. You know over the span of a week, mm-hmm. and I twenty percent of it goes into the car, and the other eighty percent goes into, you know, uh, into, you know, the house. Runs yeah. the lights, runs the washer, runs it, runs the dryer, does the cooking, does the cleaning, does you know, yeah, right. Charges my Roomba, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, um, so listen, I, we're going to wrap this up, um, for your portion of this. Like I, I told you, I haven't announced to the audience yet, but I plan on having another guest to talk about this too. <clears throat> um, I'm sure you saw my, the picture I attached to my Facebook post, my, and I don't know if I should be concerned about putting my license plate out there or not, but fuck it. It's out there. Uh, it says Ohm's law. And actually, oh, yeah. one of the questions posed by someone, actually, it was Jamie Getz again. So, Jamie, you get credit again for like a fifth or sixth question. She says, how many people know Ohm's Law? Do you, Morgan McLean, know what Ohm's Law is? So isn't that electric scaling, right? Isn't Well... Uh, the, the equation is simple. It's V equals IR. So it's voltage equals the product of current times resistance. So it is, it is scaling. I guess I never thought of it that way, but, um, I don't know the way I look at this. Like I used to work, um, at my old house, I had a homemade battery bank and I had some small solar panels and I, I just had like a hobby set up, <clears throat> but I had um, a bunch of six volt batteries and I hooked them up in series and in parallel in order to create a 24 volt system. And so I knew that, you know, the, the voltage of all these things was related to the amperage that they created times all the resistance with the wiring all this bullshit so anyways i was able to calculate you know how much power or work could be done by the 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 battery bank makes sense i don't yeah uh, it's i don't know i I thought it was a a quippy uh, little license plate to get (laughs) yeah and and you know what though like i hate to say it and you know you, you have fallen into into the vanity plate world, you know, and it's just something you Tesla owners do. 
Well, <clears throat> so I, when was the last time you and I saw each other? God, man, it's been at least 10 years. <laughs> at least. Um, and, and you may be upset to hear this, but you know that I, I had that 2008 uh, STI. Yeah. And when I moved to West Virginia, I got a vanity plate on it. So this is not new to me, this vanity plate thing. Um, I remember this. I do remember this. Yeah, my West Virginia vanity, vanity plate, plate on that was WRC bread. As in, yep, like, it had, WR, it had World Rallycross DNA. And then yep. I had that uh, 8th Gen Evo, right? Yep. And my West Virginia vanity plate said Evo Roman numeral 8. And I'm telling you, everyone in West Virginia said, what the fuck's that mean? <laughs> so, you're obviously what, what not, does, you're obviously does, not fluent. In, I, I, I mean, yeah, so you're obviously not fluent in Latin or Roman or whatever the hell that was. But, um, I, I only very, very recently got rid of both those cars, Morgan. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for the call. You dick. Well, dude, it got to the point where <laughs> it got to the point where they're sitting in my front lawn for a very long time without any miles put on them. And I was still paying the West Virginia personal property tax on them. And, uh, you'll laugh, but I, our mail carrier came out and he says, Hey, uh, I've seen these cars sitting out here day after day for like a couple of years. Would you ever get rid of them? And I told him, I said, fuck yes, I would. And, uh, we struck up a deal and they're gone man i hate to admit it i think my performance car days are done with although this tesla uh as far as like straight line acceleration it's the fastest car i've ever sat in that i will give the idea of you know electricity is just absolutely amazing however however and i i know that we're we're drawing this out no, it's okay. Today, it, today is what the twenty first, mm-hmm. and yesterday, March twentieth. What Dodge did? Oh, what was it that with that one seventy? Um, yeah, the Demon one seventy. Yeah, dude. So I, I just read an article about that. What's the specs? It makes over a thousand horsepower, right? And so it does a quarter in like eight, it does a quarter in sub nine seconds. Yeah, eight fifty one. Yeah, I, and that's a production car. That's crazy. That is a that is a production car with an E eighty five tune. Mm-hmm. Okay, that can pull wheelies <laughs> and 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 is delivered from the factory on Mickey Thompson's drag slicks, like DOT drag slicks yeah yeah i saw no i saw the pictures i read i skimmed the article i think i remembered the horsepower numbers and the uh the uh et numbers from the the quarter mile but what i can't like what's the what is the 170 in reference to that's not like the engine displacement clearly that's a giant engine No, no. So what that is, is that's the octane rating for E85. It's not 170. Yes, it is. 
Fuck no, it isn't. It's like 91 or 92. No. I think straight up no. ethanol is like 120. No. So. I'll have to, I'll have to fact check you on this, uh, Morgan McLean. <laughs> Not tonight. But <laughs> yeah. No. <clears throat> One E eighty five one seventy. SRT. So as I'll, I'll pull this Motor Trend article up. Thanks, Eric, for your, your wonderful writing here. <laughs> so where is that one seventy? One seventy. The Demon 170 uses, uh, it said uses E85 blend of gasoline and ethanol to make that power. The octane rating uh, ranges from 100 to 105. Um, let's see, E85 is a misnomer uh, that shows the fuel contains 85% ethanol. Um, oh shit, maybe I am wrong. I could have swore that's what they said this was all for. What the hell is the 170? Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get to the bottom of this. But no, I know that the the, the ethanol fuels so they're there's so much more energy in ethanol fuels, but their octane rating is actually terrible relative to gasoline. And how oh, it's, it's how e- no because you have to dump it in there. How ethanol fuels work is they they they're programmed to overfuel, right? We know. You and I know all about the air fuel ratio concept as it pertains to turbocharged and uh, high compression engines, supercharged engines, right? You, you want as much air in there as you can get, but you also need to fuel it. But with the ethanol fuels, the, it, ah. can, it combusts with so much energy, so much temperature that you have to overfuel it. So you have some leftover liquid fuel to keep the combustion chamber cooler. All right, but so I, I feel like you just it. you just found something. You said, "Aha!" I did. Okay, Dodge leans heavily, maybe too heavily, into the E85 as a branding theme for the Demon. The 170 in the name comes from E85 being 85 percent alcohol. So that they're or, talking about the proof, <laughs> or 170 proof. That's the liquor the proof. Of yeah. Liquor. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see that coming. The words alcohol injected are etched into the hood scoop bezel. Okay. See, I knew that had to do something with the fuel. Yeah. No, that makes sense. 85% is 170 proof. Yep. There you go. (laughs) Boy, now that's redneck. That seems like it came straight out of West Virginia somewhere. I was just going to say your mountain buddies can probably fuel their cars with all of their, uh, <laughs> w- w- with all of their stuff that they're not making and not telling the government about. That's right, buddy. All right. <laughs> well, Morgan McLean, hey, man. Mr. Morgan McLean, it's, it's been, been awesome to catch up with you. Um, listen, I'm just going to, I'll stop the recording and we can talk some more. I do want to ask you some more stuff. All right, so we're back oh, they on. Need, they don't need to be shown, but yeah, we're back on with Morgan. Um, I think I might have mentioned briefly before that Morgan is involved in uh, some fundraising efforts and charities having to do with Huntington's disease. Um, 
I, as a physician, I know probably more than the average person about Huntington's disease. I'm willing to bet that Morgan can tell me more about Huntington's disease than I even know. But why don't you tell me and our potential listeners, what is this terrible uh, neurodegenerative disease? So Huntington's is a autosomal dominant uh, neurodegenerative disease, like you said. Um, the quick elevator speech over it is, you know, it's ALS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, MS, uh, all wrapped up, you know, and ALS as well, all wrapped up into to, to one wonderful um, disease that can pretty much hit you at any point in life. And I detect um, a lot of sarcasm here because it's not a wonderful oh, thing oh, to happen to a person. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's really not. I mean, it's, it, it's for most, it winds up being a surprise um, because a lot of people don't talk about it. Um, yeah. I never heard you know, about it until I, I went to medical school. Yeah. And when you think about it, it really has never been um, widely discussed. Um, you know, it was something that killed Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody always thought like, oh, well, Woody's drunk, you know, sitting on stage, mm-hmm. you know, drunk as a skunk trying to, trying to sing his songs. And it wasn't the case. The man had been sober for, you know, going on 20 years before he passed away in, in, in the late sixties. Yeah. Um, and I have been raising money since I was 19 years old for um, the Huntington's Disease Society of America with Woody's wife in the year after he passed away. Yeah. Now, why is it that um, you chose this as a charity or as a, so a fundraising effort? You have my close ties to this problem, aunt, don't you? I do. I do. My aunt um, passed away in... Uh, the early 2010s mm-hmm. because of it. Um, she was the namesake of the charity. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a, a blanket with all of my T-shirts over the past couple of years. And I was just thinking to myself of all of the, all of the funny things that have come and gone in that time. And, uh, man, it's been a, it's been a run, but yeah, my aunt passed away from it and I've got two cousins at risk. Um, when you say at risk, what do you mean by at risk? So that's where the big word that I used at the beginning, all of this comes in autosomal dominance. So, um, for each child of an affected person, there's a 50, 50 percent chance of that child gaining the gene that would later grow into what is Huntington's disease. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the average listener probably doesn't understand the concept of, um, 
genetic inheritance, this basic concept we're talking about. And I mean, there's a lot of inheritance patterns out there, but this autosomal dominant versus recessive <clears throat> concept means that if it's a, it's a, if it's a dominant trait, one parent can pass it on. Yep. Converse that or contrast that with a, a recessive trait. Both parents have to have it to pass it on. So right. Yes. Uh, so I think, and I, I didn't mean to speak over you, but for listeners, um, if you're a direct descendant of someone with Huntington's disease, you have to have a very high degree of concern that you may be affected. Correct. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a, that's a a huge thing that these people have to deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, And there's not a cure for it. Right. Correct. Uh, I think the the way I understand it, there's just supportive treatment and even that's not great, right? It's not because everybody's different. Yeah, you you get into the idea of everybody's genetics are completely different. So what works for one person may not work for the other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know what worked for mom isn't necessarily going to work for child. Right. Right. What worked for dad isn't necessarily going to work for child. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and the bad thing is, is it, it depending on how many genetic repeats there are is kind of telltale on when it hits you in life. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a relatively lower number, it's going to hit you later in life. If you have a relatively higher number, it's going to hit you earlier in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes down to it, by the time that someone realizes that uh, it, it's a scary possibility for them in their lives, they've already procreated. You know, they, they're, they're now all of a sudden they've put, you know, their children. Oh well, my gosh. That's gosh. I'll have to admit that's something I had not ever considered and you're absolutely right you so there's a person there's would a, not know their would not know their uh, inheritance pattern before they sire other kids or, or have other kids right yeah so um for for those who find it interesting and particularly that one uh aspect of this um, let's see if I can find but that. would it even change a person's decision to have offspring? I wonder. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure that it does. Um, it would have to so be a, a is, deciding factor. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. So um, I am going to give your listeners a awesome. Uh, where'd it go? There it is. Uh, an awesome podcast to listen to after this one. Okay, cool. Um, and it is 
called R is for Rare, uh, and it's episode nine with Ashley Pessy. Um, she discusses all of that incredibly mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's Western Pennsylvania girl. She does an absolutely fantastic job. And I think if someone's interested in trying to understand a little bit more of like testing processes, in her case, the incorrect way of going through testing processes, Mm -hmm. um, because trust me, uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I didn't know what a genetic counselor was, but uh, a whole lot of people didn't know what genetic counselors were either. So yeah, um, yeah. And, and the accessibility concerning genealogy is, is not necessarily anything somebody's going to be looking into um, in their late teens and early twenties. But right, <laughs> yeah. Mm. So um, she does an absolutely phenomenal job of that uh, storytelling, um, and she's a Western Pennsylvania girl. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah she's a good you still doing, um, you still doing the fast track charity? I am, sir. May uh, 21st. Oh my gosh. I think we're going to be at Disney world during that. <laughs> oh man. I'll be there, uh, about, I'll be there about two weeks after you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, we're, we're trying to, um, I think we're doing what it, what is commonly accepted as the definition of insanity. So we took these twins there about a year ago and they were fucking crazy. Like we couldn't even handle them. It was awful. And we're, we're expecting different results this time. <laughs> Isn't that literally the definition? Yeah. No, I'm serious. It's the definition of insanity. But uh repeating repeating one action and then thinking there's going to be another outcome. Exactly, exactly. Um yeah. but I do uh, I didn't mean to detract from um uh, your no, li- your line fun. of conversation at all because I did um I did want you to explain the fast track charity and this will go back and kind of explain uh how I got to know you and kind of got into cars. Uh, so tell yeah. us about that fast track charity. So 2008 um, it was the first time that we ever had fast track. And uh, that particular day was my 20th birthday. So May I remember 18th. That very clearly. Right. Yep. Cause that's my yep. ex, my ex wife's birthday. <laughs> Well, we're not going to talk about that now, are we, Dave? That's Um, cool. I don't care. (laughs) She always liked me. Um, (laughs) So, like, when it comes when it comes down to that, you know, I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this is something I'm going to do for a little bit of time, and it'll all be fine and dandy. And that year, we raised like thirty five hundred bucks or something along those lines, and um, you know, up until last year. When um, I'm sitting at home and I'm I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing now for 15 years and just counting the money with my mom 
and we're putting together sponsor checks. We're putting together um, donor checks. We're putting together um, all of the money that we made on, on credit card sales for tickets, donations, straight up donations for food, everything that we made that entire day. I went from making $3,500 on the first year to making something just over $22,000 last year. Holy Um, shit, dude. When (laughs) I first, when I got over $20,000, I almost couldn't count anymore. I was so happy with the outcome of last year's event. It just, it, mm-hmm. it made me so incredibly happy. Wow. Um, now, we're going to go back a couple of years um, to when you and I first met mm-hmm. and started talking at, you know, the Subaru meets. And, you know, it was just this big, goofy southern dude that had absolutely <laughs> no idea uh, about anything that was going on in the automotive world in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it was, but the first year that we ever broke the $10,000 mark was the year that you donated to us. No, oh, dude, I remember I was, <clears throat> I was highly involved in that charity. And uh, yeah, you were, you were, you were at the point and, you were the largest uh, donor. Well, and I, I mean, I'm not here to toot my own horn, but like, I, I, I do have to admit to you, like, I don't know, I've, I've moved, I've had a lot of significant life changes. Um, I felt like I kept up with you guys in Pittsburgh for a little while after I moved. Yeah, it was a couple of years, but if um, I remember correctly, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed to admit that. Uh, you know, I've, I've really kind of, uh, omitted some of that life, uh, from my current life. I mean, maybe, maybe not on purpose, but, um, yeah, just weird stuff has Never happened. Really on and, purpose, man. Yeah. Weird stuff happens. And, uh, yeah, but like, no, I, I remember that this was a cause I, I really liked and I liked all the people involved. I liked your, your family. Um, Yes, I, I, I do. I have some remorse for not being involved in that still. Um, well, I mean, I was, I was proud to support you when I did. I'd love to get back into it, to be honest. Well, um, you know, once all of this is, is said and done, we can have that conversation and I'm sure, I'm sure Somewhere here, there's a name. There, your name. I remember you guys always called me Doctor Dave. <laughs> yeah, man, Doctor Dave. Yeah, I think that was on all the banners or whatever. <laughs> was yeah, on. there was, and I, I actually, something. I actually appreciated that because it left me more or less anonymous, which is kind of the way I roll. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked that. Yeah, here we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll 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 add something for uh, 
we'll add something for your listeners. Mm. And I will send I will send this to you <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, here I, this. Yeah, we'll keep sending or keep working, whatever. But this actually raises another question. Um, so you and I hung out. Uh, oh, I see it come up on my computer screen now. Um, you and I were involved primarily in autocross format racing and competition, right? Um, yep. What... What's this scene now with electric vehicles and autocross? I so I've seen a little bit of this sprinkled out there. In the social media is it sounds like EVs are doing okay uh, in autocross. I don't know about like real track stuff like time trials or you know wheel wheel racing, but um, it seems to me like the EV would do well in autocross because uh, in autocross you're, you're, you're working with real tight spaces, real tight turns and then exiting. I think exiting the turns and acceleration is what's pivotal, right? Yeah. Uh, and, so. and I don't know, there's a lot of mistakes to be made no matter how fast your car is, but I think the EVs might be over to might be able to overcome even some of the driving mistakes that, people commonly have i don't know what are your thoughts on that so there are there's a particular class for it and oh yeah of course there is there would be okay there so that that, so that has now changed i know everybody's in uh a little up in arms over that right now (laughs) um especially the people that aren't as fast as the you know model three performance what's the oh what's um, the modifier for the EV class then it, it, it's essentially an open class because well no I mean like what's the time what's the time modifier is wasn't there some kind uh, of multiplier for based yeah, on your so class the PACS index PAX index that's what it was yeah PAX index so like that I, I me personally I still don't follow PAX index okay so I, you're just I, the, the raw I, time person I'm I'm a raw time person, and I mean it's a social thing for me. I like the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I've got a couple of people in my class now that uh, you know I really enjoy standing over with my arms crossed, looking at them, you know, mean mugging the shit out of them in, in, in the <laughs> parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all of a sudden they turn around, they do the same thing back to me. Yeah, and yeah. you know. They, you know, flip each other the bird, and that's the end of the day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. I will tell you that, um, for instance, we have one guy who was, uh, has started putting on, I think it's Mountain Pass, is the company that does all of the Tesla suspension. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the full kit on his car and damn it. If it doesn't look nice and damn it, if that thing isn't flat when it turns, is he just smoking everybody? He is making everybody chip themselves on a pretty regular basis. (laughs) 
Is there? Is it still but, the same know. scene there? Uh, I, you're still with the North Hills. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Is it still like uh, Chris Carlisle and uh, Chris J. J. The guy with the Porsches, right? Jay Geiger. Yeah. Uh, oh um, gosh, who else? Yeah, uh, who's Paul. the guy? Who's the guy that always drove the BMWs? Ethan Connor. Ethan. Is he still around? I haven't I haven't seen Ethan in maybe two years. Oh, okay. Paul. Yeah, Paul's he'll he'll never go away. <laughs> no, no. I'm actually it, so it's really funny. I'm gonna go have a beer with him tomorrow. Awesome. Um, we we lost uh we lost one of our our race buddies uh-huh. to uh depression mm. uh, last week and and uh, you know, we're all kind of worried for one another and we're all going to start checking in on each other a little bit more and more. But, um, what's really kind of interesting is, is, uh, he was a Tesla driver. Oh my. Um, so he, uh, just check in on your friends. Well, I uh, will admit, that's, that's uh, all I've got to say. I will admit that was a, a very tight knit community while I was living there for certain still is i mean because you is. saw uh you saw all walks of life um i mean i think there was there was me who could throw a lot of money uh into the hobby and then there you know i don't know the guys like paul lind for example is the you know pipe fitter or whatever the hell it is he does just scrapping cars together and through mostly talent was doing well at the track. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. I mean, still and that's is. what I loved about it. Like, I mean, cause so clearly, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that money could make up for everything, but money got you into a hot car or a highly modified car, but the talent, I mean, the talent and the know-how, the mechanical know-how is what really got you forward in, in that sport, in that competition. Yeah. I mean, how many times did you beat Chris Carlisle? Like never. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I know. And he had one of the biggest piece of shit cars there, right? Uh, but well, God, he could just lucky. He could sling that thing he around could the drive track. That car, God, and 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 Lucky probably only makes ninety horsepower. Yeah, right, maybe. right. But you know, he's got that car mapped out in his brain, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. No, and that uh, God, there was something to be said about that dude's talent. And I think he would get behind. I mean, he did well behind the wheel of several vehicles. He drove like wasn't he co-driver with Jay Geiger in the Porsche? Oh yeah, yeah. And he beat Jay in a car. Didn't he co-drive with that dude with the Miata? A little bit. I can't remember that guy's name. Maybe not. Dan Ennis. Dan Ennis. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. 
They are. I mean, Chris, Chris has had the, the joy of driving pretty much everything out there. So, Oh, and then like who had the, uh, who had the S 2000? I think that Chris drove some. Gosh, I, uh, Bob, Bob Kilmer. Yeah. I mean, I, I only vaguely remember some of these names. And then there was that dude that had the piece of shit Corvette. What was his name? Oh, the yellow one or the, the white one? The white one that was like not quite painted. Dave Stoner. Dave Stoner. Dave, Dave Stoner. <laughs> Dave Stoner bricked, bricked that thing. Yeah, yeah. At a hill climb. Oh, no. He shoved it, he shoved it into a, 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 a barrier Ooh. Uh, uh, over 100 miles an hour. Ouch. And then, and then bought. Uh, he's got a a coupe mm. with the Z fifty one package on it, mm. and this thing is all kitted for downforce. Mm-hmm. And he he took his sticker from his white car and he put it on the red car, and it still <laughs> says "Drive it like it's on fire." Yeah, more yeah. than likely it is. Absolutely, drive it like you stole it. No, drive it like it's on fire. <laughs> I'd much rather go to jail than be dead. Mm, true, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, now, you know, we're we're looking at May 21st for this year for Fast Track, and um, I just confirmed today we're, we're just over the first $1,000 raised. Um the uh, overall um, donations at this point, I'm like at a hundred and ninety-seven thousand dollars. What? I'm I'm so damn close to almost two hundred grand. Holy like, crap, just, dude! I can I can taste it, man. Wow! I can taste it. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I I've got like. I think it's another maybe twenty five hundred bucks. As soon as that twenty five hundred bucks comes in, mm. like <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I don't care if I make thirty five hundred dollars this year because you know it'll take me back to my roots. It'll humble me, but yeah. uh, I'll tell you one thing: I, I, I will be very happy, proud, and confident that you know I can say I've raised over two hundred thousand dollars for 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 something. And I did it Gosh, with, dude, that's, with, that's awesome. with help of friends, but I also did it with very minimal outside help. Mm-hmm. I did this strictly with my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, it's, uh, that's as grassroots as it gets, man. It really is. That's awesome. It really is. Genuinely, I I cannot wait for it. Well, I'm. I'm. You can check it out at Fast Track PGH. Wait, say that again. You can check it out at FastTrackPGH.com. Okay. And Fast Track PGH on Instagram and Fast Track PGH on Facebook. Find all kinds of things. Okay. Well, awesome. You you read my mind. I was going to ask you about the socials and a website. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, man. and if you look far enough back into the annals of uh, of our photos, I think on Facebook 
there is definitely at least one photo of you. <laughs> I'm sure it's highly embarrassing. Yep, yep. Open face helmet and everything. Open face helmet with some uh, magnetic clip-on sunglasses. Yeah. Yep. I remember that shit. I'm the same person, dude. (laughs) Except you're walking around in. Are you still walking around in Crocs? Fuck no. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I wear cowboy boots a lot now. Um, and another that, thing that's different that, from uh, when I lived in Pittsburgh is I've got motorcycles now. Uh, oh, I, that's something else that we can talk about. Uh, well, and I know I've followed your chronicles on Facebook about your, uh, what do you got, a BMW touring bike? Yep. Right. And I've got, uh, I've got two others right now. Well, I've got three Harley Davidsons in the garage. And I know I know what everyone's going to say about the the Harley Davidsons, but here's the thing: ever since I was a boy, um, the Street Glide Harley Davidson with the Batwing fairing and the single headlight—that to me was what a motorcycle was. You know, I I'll agree with that. So I own now two street glide Harley Davidson's <laughs> and I have a chopped soft tail that's got a big motor and a big fucking tire on it. And it's loud. Uh, that's my bar bike. And then I have these two other touring bikes that I absolutely adore and I just don't get to ride them enough. Well, that's that's such a shame, and I think you know maybe sometime in summer we'll uh, I'll I'll make my way down to Huntington. We'll go for a spin on a Sunday. Well, here's the problem: is you'll you'll be able to ride forever, and I'll have to stop every fifty miles to work the rest off of all my joints. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to do that, and you know what else? You're also gonna have to fill up your gas. That's true. That's true. Oh God, this the soft tail. So first of all, it's only a three gallon tank. Uh, and I bet you I don't get 75 miles out of it. The street glides are five and a half gallon tanks, each of them. And I can get close to 400 miles on those tanks, but, um, that's, that's gross. I know. I know. It's awful. That's gross. (laughs) Stop. I write icons. That's okay. I, yeah. I, I, I had my icon and I, I miss it dearly. I had a, my first bike was the Royal Enfield. Oh yeah. That is an icon. Yeah. yeah I will give about, you that. Man, that was a great bike. And, um, you know, the, I, I decided, well, screw it. I went to go get rid of it. And it was, they, they took it in for what I paid for it. And I, having worked for BMW, they were like, yeah, here, this is all the things that you get for being a BMW employee. (laughs) Go team. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm like, that would be dumb not to do that. So that's what I did. Yeah. I went out and I did that. Um, And then I just last fall, 
I had a customer of mine. We got onto the topic of motorcycles. He's in his mid seventies. Mm. He's got two, as he would call them, hot shit motor scooters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were talking about them one day, and his wife just looks at me and goes, "You need to get a U-Haul. You need to come to the house. <laughs> I will feed you lunch, and I will help you push these fucking bikes onto the U-Haul." <laughs> Oh, that's great. So I, I, I became the owner of uh, a 1983 Honda CBX. Oh, and okay. What is, is that the, um, this the six-cylinder bike? That is the six-cylinder bike. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I became the owner of a 1992 uh, Suzuki GSX-R. 1100 F or as they called it at the time here in the States, the Katana. Mm-hmm. So the touring Katana at the time. So it's big, fat, stupid has one of those automatic <laughs> windscreens. Um, and as it stands right now, the Honda is off getting restored. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Katana is just collecting dust in my garage. Oh boy. Oh yeah. So, uh, motor, motor scooters a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I have divulged myself into, man, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to ride, I'm going to ride well. Yeah. I'm going to ride fun. Yeah. I bet you spent the tiniest fraction of what I've spent on these bullshit machines here. Um, yeah, you're you're probably right. I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know I'm right. I think I've got over a hundred thousand right. dollars of motorcycle in the garage here. <laughs> yeah, and when it comes down to it, I think of the four that I own, I think it still costs less than one of yours. <laughs> I believe it, dude. No, I bought in. Yeah. Uh, I bought in for the name. I'll admit that. Uh. Well, but you know what? I, but you know, I think the that other was just me. Stands for right? Uh, oh gosh, what uh, have I heard this? I don't know. So you got high definition. Uh huh. You've got Huntington's disease. Okay. <laughs> He's got Harley Davidson. Right. Okay, and every accessory costs a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars? Yeah. God, I think that'd be getting off cheap. Yeah, yeah, but you know, if you're talking about a a, a fucking cam cover with a skull on it, it's a hundred bucks. Oh no! Uh, the first bike I ever bought from Harley, I changed everything on it that I could to the Willie G skull. And um, God, I bet that was a couple grand. I mean, yeah, I the, the Derby cover, the fuel cap cover, the like the brake hydraulic cover, the, the air box cover, Jesus Christ. Like I, no, it was stupid. I mean, the bike looks great, but to accessorize it with the Willie G skull, what it just cost too much. Stupid. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> I, for me. 
man, I'm, I'm itching for my, like my next big ride mm-hmm. and I'm actually, I'm putting one together on the 16th. I think we're going to go do this triple five and mm. yeah, so we're going to have, any, have ourselves. A good old I don't ride. have any time to ride. I don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you chose to have twins. And I work a lot. <laughs> no, God, I work 60 hours a week or more. Man, um, you, you, you got to find time for yourself. Well, I ride locally. Uh, but I just, I, I can't ride to work. I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I'm a sunny weather rider. I'll admit that. Uh, yeah. But you're also talking about, okay, so let's think about this. You got street glides. Mm-hmm. You have a fairing. You've got your bat wing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And probably I'm assuming you don't have any visor on the front of it. Right. So it's just bat wing. No, no visor on the fairing. Right. A little teeny tiny one, about three inches. All right. So as men, we all know that three inches isn't enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But go, go out, get yourself, go out and get yourself a five or a six inch visor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Kick that air up over your head. And guess what? You'll be able to ride that thing. Through rain and still see. Well, now I've got rain gear, buddy, and uh, I've what? got a, I've got an assortment of helmets, um, with you know face gear and all that bullshit, whatever. <laughs> but I'm still just a sunny oh. weather rider. I'll have to admit, oh. man. <laughs> the first time I ever rode through rain was in your state. Yeah, well, I remember the last time I rode in rain, I had to pull over uh, under a bridge on I-64 uh, at the 5th Street Interchange in Huntington. And I sat there for about an hour while the rain was pouring. And then the traffic came to a stop. And uh, I talked to this driver of a tractor trailer there. And he said on the radio, he heard that a power line had fallen across the road somewhere down on I-64. So I think that, well, I know that that was my last experience riding in the damn rain. And what I wound up doing there is I rode backwards, like against traffic down I-64. <laughs> I rode on the shoulder and just got off uh, at an exit somewhere. But no, that was fucking miserable. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, I'll bet that you and I can talk forever about motorcycles. Maybe we should have that as the next topic. Abs- uh, sure, I would love to. I, like I said, I need to uh, kickstart this podcast again. Like I was doing pretty well during COVID, and then it just kind of fell off. Um, and I do have some—I do have a loyal listener base in Charleston. Oddly enough, I'm hoping that maybe oh. you bring some listeners in from the pgh area because uh, i'll blast this on well, facebook and i'll tag you and all and all sorts of people yeah that'd be fun i'm i'm down for that 
Yeah. And you know, we'll talk about scooters. We'll talk about cars. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Gosh, I love to hear from you, dude. Um, Hey, don't be a fucking stranger, dude. Well, I've been a stranger for too long and I always felt like you were, uh, uh, no, I, um, I don't know. Life takes some, some crazy twists and turns, man. I think all of us can relate to that. I've always kind of looked at you uh, uh, as a younger brother and, uh, I don't know. Like I said at the at the outset here, it's, it's been way too long. So it's awesome to catch up with you. Awesome to hear about all the work you're doing. Awesome to get your feedback on these electric vehicles. And um, I imagine we can uh, record some more in the future. Okay. Hey man, I want I'm you. In. I want you to say hi to all of your family and all of my old acquaintances there, man. Oh, I certainly will. I'll. Uh... <laughs> I'll tell Paul that we were talking shit on him tomorrow when I see him. Always talking smack on somebody. (laughs) All right, brother, man. You take care of yourself. Yeah, I will, man. You too.